Let's get right to it. Um, my sermon title is called, it's really the series title. I'm starting a Christmas series called uh, Jesus the Giver. Um, he's not only the giver. How many know that Jesus is also the gift? Yeah. And but if, you're, if you're wondering if this is like a tithing message or something, it's not. Uh, you know, Jesus the giver, why don't you tithe? No, this isn't that kind of message. Um, <laughs> can everyone say amen? <laughs> Father, I thank you for your word, um, that it's truth, it's life, Lord, and I thank you for this season and what it brings, and uh, help me to communicate today, Lord, I communicate the right way, Lord, I'm not going to try to be somebody else, but I want to be myself and uh, share your good news, your good word, Lord, I know there's a lot of fears people have um, in Christmas season, sometimes even Christians, about what, what they should celebrate, what they shouldn't. Lord, now it's also, it could be a discouraging time for some, Lord, because it's a reminder of uh, seasons of loss, Lord, where we remember loved ones. It's like that for me, Lord. I re- just have loved ones that I remember. And, Lord, also the joy, the joy of knowing that you're in charge and you're God, in charge of our lives, Lord, that you direct our very souls. When we're weak, we're strong. And you can breathe life into our relationships and heal our emotions and restore us. And I just want to invite you in and give people faith, Lord. Um, The world so mocks belief in God, Lord, because it doesn't understand it. So it becomes sort of a pattern. Let them see that you are the God of divine power. And Lord, all things are in your hands. Open up the word. Make it powerful. In Jesus' name. Do I hear amen? Amen. amen. Well, I'm excited about the message uh, today. Um, some you know, talk from people from first service, but I think God wants to breathe some fresh life. Um, I am going to be talking about Christmas, and it's not the Christmas message. Uh, I will talk about the Christmas message. But I want to start... In, in Matthew, in the genealogy um, of Jesus and how incredible it is. And uh, I want to get into the heart of the message and kind of compare it to what the world sees Christmas as. And I want um, also to overcome some Christmas season fears that people have. <clears throat> so let's talk about Christmas. You guys ready to talk about Christmas? Okay, yeah. so I'm going to just, t- I'm going to talk just kind of off, it's going to relate to my message, but it's just kind of some introductory words. No one knows exactly when Jesus was born. Nobody knows that. There's not any document. The New Testament doesn't emphasize it. So it's not, a, it's not essential to the Christian faith. Paul doesn't say, or you know, Paul or John or one, any of the early gospel writers, the writers of the epistles, none of them say and Jesus was born on this date. They do say that there was a census there with Caesar Augustus. And so we can kind of guess the time frame. They, they used to think it was sometime in the April-May time frame. And then later they, they thought it was d- December. And then other scholars debated again, went back to May. And just, just say it with me. Say, I don't know. I, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. It didn't matter to them. The Bible never commands us, celebrate Jesus' birth. Get out that cake and put the candles on and blow them out and sing happy birthday, Jesus. It doesn't say that because it's not the significant thing. The significant thing in what the Bible writers do emphasize is that this eternal God that has been given to us, the Son of God, given, not born, he was already existing. The child is born, but the Son was given. 
And it says that he became flesh. This transcendent God became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's that very first scripture. It's really the first scripture. It's, it's in the New Testament, but it actually comes before Genesis. Because in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created. So at the beginning, God created going forward. But the New Testament, John, begins with, in the beginning, can everyone say, was? Was. was. So it's pointing to a past before the beginning. In the beginning. So this is really important. So two of the Gospels not only talk about Jesus' birth, but they start with a whole genealogy of how it got there because it's important because it relates to the promises that God's making. Now, it's super important, and I promise you this message can change your life if you really pay attention to the fact that God keeps his promises. We have such a self-focused faith that focuses on our ability to believe more rather than just believing God's ability to fulfill what he does. It's a promise that he has. It's a confidence not in ourselves, but a confidence in him. And God goes out of his way to show you that historically he can keep his promises. No other religions can do this. I will demonstrate this. It's not even close. It's not, it's not like it's well, really similar stories. It's not that way. Now, it's, it's really important to understand that as we're getting to these promises of God, that God creates this genealogy in Matthew that's, you know, it's basically a legal line, you know, of, of succession. And then he goes to Luke and he does more of a paternal line, which is a little bit different. And he works his way backwards from Mary, you know, through David, all the way to Abraham and all the way to Adam. So I'm going to approach them. I'm going to spend most of my time with the gospel of Matthew uh, today. But I wanted to dispel a few things that well-meaning Christians sometimes struggle with in the Christmas season. I have four just things that people worry about, and I want to kind of help us through the Christmas season, maybe overcome some of these. And so, so stick with me. Here I'm going to go. Okay, the first one is I heard, or some people, have, they come up to me, and this happens to me every year. They say, I heard that the pagans celebrated Christmas kind of a winter solstice, you know, the sort of the beginning of spring, the end of December, and Christians stole that, and then they called it Christmas. Well, first of all, let me just tell you, there's been a ton of things that have happened for a Christmas season in the church historically, that if you wanted to pick on this little part of history and make that part of it, it would be, you could make a case for it, you can make a stream here to make a case for it, but let's say that that's true. Let's just say that there was a winter solstice you know, that, that people started celebrating. Let, let me just address it for a second. So what? Amen? So what? I mean, let's say if they did take a pagan holiday and decided, hey, they're celebrating this pagan holiday, let's turn it into a Christian holiday. Wouldn't that be a killer thing? Right? You know, we take Valentine's and he goes, Valentine's Day is a Christian holiday now. People go, what? You know, and I put, why dismiss their great accomplishment if it's true? In redeeming a pagan holiday, God probably helped them do it. Now listen, when you look at some of the older traditions like the Celtics and the Germans and the Scandinavians, they were completely into superstitions. Some of them maybe had some demonic influences. Don't you, don't you want to redeem the things that, that are, have been broken or tattered in the past? 
You, you can go back to early church history, the first, second, and third century, and they celebrated Christ's birth. It's clearly documented. And then you can go in the fourth and fifth century where they kind of went crazy and did stupid things. How many have seen the church do stupid things now? Okay, so can, now we have to stop celebrating Christmas because they're idiots? Seriously. Don't you think we ought to celebrate Christmas because it's Christ's day? It's a day that we celebrate the incarnation of God in the flesh. You can celebrate it the day after Christmas if you want. But let's just all gather together in the masses and celebrate it on the 24th and 25th. Amen? Amen. So, so just something to think about. And I know Romans 14 says, accept him whose faith is weak. In other words, if there's a meal made and someone says, I'm sacrificing this meal to the demon gods. Well, don't eat that meal right? But if the person goes, I sacrifice this turkey and gravy and mashed potatoes to the gods, the demon gods, say, okay, well, I can't, I can't eat that with you. But can I have turkey of my own on the next day? Can I eat my own turkey and gravy and go, praise God, thank you for the turkey and gravy. If you still struggle with it, I can accept you that your faith is weak and you can say that my faith is weak and I'm fine with that. But I, I believe that God made everything for us to enjoy. I really believe that. Now, the letter B here, and I only have four of these. Now they're calling it Xmas, and they're taking the Christ out of Christmas. How dare they? Think about it. What do you think? Isn't that the non-believers don't believe in Christ? Of course they're not going to call it Christmas. Unless it's just a holiday thing, of course they'd want to take it out. But be a Christian, put the X back in, and realize that chi or chai, however you want to pronounce it in the Greek, is the first letter of the alphabet. It's the signifying of the Christos, which is Christ in the Greek. Happy Xmas. <laughs> Amen. Amen. L- listen, this is not a stretch. A lot of people, when you're studying Greek, they fall in love with the X. Anyone, any Greek students in here, you know, if you study your Greek, you fall in love with the X. And I write Xmas all the time. I just don't let you Christians see it because you'll get offended by it. <laughs> Eric's trying to take the Christ out of Christmas. Yeah, I preach Jesus every single day of my life. <laughs> but I'm going to try to take him out of this word, you know. Listen, I put, they're taking the Christ out of Christmas. Maybe. Of course they are. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. What does that matter to us? Seriously, if don't try to convince someone to become a Christian by changing the X to Christ, share the gospel with somebody. Jesus doesn't go out there and he goes, I want you to change the word of Christmas to back. That's my message. That's not the message of Christ. Let's not get confused. Amen. Amen. Okay, and here's here's the third one. It's just four. Isn't the Christmas tree a druid pagan ritual? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Listen, I hear this all the time. And, I, and I, 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 if you're a really good researcher, you can spend about 30 seconds on the internet. Just type druid Christmas tree. And you'll see that the druids, they were superstitious, superstitious Celtic groups. And there was other groups just like them, German, Scandinavia, that, that believed that if you put plants, sometimes trees out on your porch, it would scare away evil spirits. So what? So what? You know the first tree I think of when I think of trees? The tree of life. 
That's in Genesis 1. But I put here, if your tree is a druid tree, you need to throw it out and burn it. Okay, so if you have a druid tree, you accidentally brought a druid tree, and you think it's going to cut out evil spirits, you need to get rid of it. But not my tree. Fortunately for my tree, I brought a tree of life that represents Christ. And there's, and there's ornaments on it. They're not demons or idols. Those represent the gifts that God has given to me and that I want to give to other people. Because I'm not letting the world dictate how I live. Listen, I have people that come up to me and talk to me about my clothing. They go, Eric, I got to tell you about that cross. I've had hundreds of you talk to me. This is a fleur-de-lis made in the 7th, 8th century by Christians for a king. And then later on in the thousands, a bunch of pagans used it. So let's use it for some pagan ritual. There's some Madonna and all kinds of people used the cross. Exorcists had the cross in it and defiled it. That mean I got to get rid of the cross? Listen, this was made by Christians. I'm wearing, they're not stealing my cross. I don't care what pagan uses it. It's the cross of Jesus Christ to me. Now, I understand that there are some symbols that we can't overcome, like the middle finger. You can't use that and say there's one Lord and try to change the word and meaning of it. But if I could, I would. There are some things that are just hard line that way. But it ain't trees. This is the killer tree. Look, there's a cross on it. There's symbols. He's given us gifts. Make up your own thing, but we're keeping the tree. Okay? There's a tree at the end of the beginning of the Bible, and there's a tree at the end of the Bible. And I understand. Listen, there are very thoughtful, deeply thoughtful Christians that think to themselves, I don't want to dishonor God. And I get it, and I respect them for it. But I also ask them to rise above it. Rise above it and start to make your world new. God has given us everything to enjoy. Yes, I see Satan and his work, but I don't need to talk about the evil. He doesn't even want me talking about the evil. Satan's work is a reminder to me that God's redemption will win. So I don't have to cower to everything. Listen, don't let... The world steal this stuff. It's not going to help us. Okay? And then letter D, the last one here, before I get to the heart of this. Should we buy each other gifts? Isn't that caving into the pagan consumer mindset? Think about it. You know, we're in a joint Christmas, and now everyone's spending money in materialism. Here's God's version. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know who the biggest giver is? God. He gives gifts men. He led captives in their train. God gives the Holy Spirit. He gave the gift of life. He gave the gift of salvation. He gives the gift of redemption. We give gifts to one another in serving one another and loving one another. And sometimes that turns out in the form of an Xbox. Right? Right? Xbox, God. Xbox, God. Right? Xbox, God. Okay, motorcycle, God. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, but, but, but God just goes higher. Amen? Listen, don't, listen, there, there are some people who get caught up in materialism. I get it. And you get so wrapped up in what you're going to buy and you forget about God. Would you just rethink it? 
You get to get, the Bible talks about an inheritance. The Proverbs are full of being blessed by the Lord so that you can give an inheritance to your kids. It's a blessing. It's meant. Wealth and riches are in his house. He will have no fear of, of bad news. He is a man. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 112. And the Psalms are full of this. It's not that wealth is some only sign, but God wants to bless us. He does. This isn't a prosperity sermon at the exclusion of trials and perseverance in prayer. But there are things that God wants to do in giving gifts. Do you know that the callings like pastors and teachers and leaders and evangelists, those are gifts to the church. I am a gift to the church. Amen. Right? You're a gift to the church. The spiritual gifts we have of faith and prophetic gifts and learning and perseverance and character gifts. They're gifts by God. There's all kinds of gifts. Let Christmas be a time where you don't just give presents, but you also lay hands on people and pray for them. And you ask God to do miracles. And sometimes you have this gift of giving and it says, and I wanted to give you this candle. I wanted to give you this shirt. I wanted to give you this whatever it is that you give. Let's not let the world steal Christmas. Okay, the Grinch has done enough work on his own. Okay? And, you know, all right, let's focus on the message now. Okay, Jesus, can everyone say the giver? There's a giver. He's not just a giver. How many know that he himself is the gift? He is the gift himself. Here is what I want to focus. I promise you, I promise you, this message will change your life today. It will. And I don't care. You've heard, I've read Matthew. I've gone through it. That's okay. May the Lord speak freshly to you. Here is the message from God in this. I will keep my promises. I keep my promises. I've kept my promise. He's going to demonstrate like no other religion, like no other person, he will show predictions and he will see them all the way through. He says, I will be with you. And if you're in the New Testament, like in our day now, he'll also be in you, not just with you. But he says, I'll be in you. I'll come. I'll make my own right hand, which is Christ. I will have him bring my own salvation. And then I will rescue you. Okay? That's that word soterio. I'll talk more about it later. Let's get started right to it. Okay, Matthew, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, the son. There's a descendancy of line where God gives Abraham a promise and it goes down to his descendancies all the way to the line of the kings, which is David. And then David has a successions of kings of, you know, of Solomon and Rehoboam and Perez of the twins. And it goes all the way down to Jeconiah and all the way through, uh, moving on to Joseph, who is not a, he's a legal um, descendant, but he is not, he has no genetic connection to Jesus Christ at all. It's even mentioned at the genealogy, you know, Joseph, the husband of Mary, who is birthed by the Holy Spirit. It's the virgin birth that she was talking about. By the way, that doesn't happen very often. Okay? So Matthew writes to the Jews. He's carrying the legal line, starting with Abraham, and he moves to Joseph, transitioning to Mary. And Luke, in chapter 3, Instead of John, who gets right to, in the beginning was the word, he talks right about who Christ is, he kind of tells the story um, narratively, and he follows the biological line with Mary, and then he goes backwards all the way through David and finishing then with Adam. So let's get right started with it, okay? We'll make genealogy interesting, amen? 
Okay, so let's start it with. Now, this promise comes to Abraham back in Genesis where it says, you know, I will bless you and I will bless you, your, your, uh, you know, your descendants. And then in Genesis 22, 18, he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then Paul points it out in the New Testament in Galatians that he says to the Jews when he's sharing Christ with them, he says, I want you to look at what is written in Genesis again. And he says, look at the word seed. He says, it's in the singular form, not plural. It's not just us, the Jews being blessed, but it's singular through the seed one will come. And that seed is, can everyone say Jesus Christ? That's what the promises were. And so anyone who is from faith, who believes in Christ, becomes a follower of the seed and becomes the seed and the generation, the offspring of Abraham. Now, here we follow the line. And there are five women mentioned here. It's very interesting how God puts them in there. God, God is highlighting, because I want you to hear this. Say, I will keep my promises. Okay, and you can almost say it. I've kept my promise. This is his proof. I kept my promise. I told you, Abraham, that I would bless you, and that through you, all nations will be blessed. Now, understand this. If you can believe that God can keep his promises, how about all the promises he'll make to us? Won't they come true? And God says, yes, they will. And you're going to get that word. Can everyone say yes? yes. One more time. Yes. yes. This is a very key biblical word. Now, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac and Ishmael, two kids. One from Hagar, one from Sarah. The Hagar one is, becomes the, the, you get the modern day Islam, where we have it now, 600 years later from the time of Christ. Ishmael and his, all his descendants. And then you have Isaac over here. And Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah, and all his brothers, the 12 brothers. And then Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, who were twins. And it says, whose mother was Tamar. Now, it doesn't mention Sarah, the mom, the wife of Abraham, who's a great woman of God, was submitted to the Lord. It doesn't mention Rebecca or Leah. Isaac and Jacob's wife, and mentions Tamar, the first one. And I think this is so interesting because she is the one, how the twins became born is that she was the, the, the basically um, the, um, her father-in-law is Judah. And she tries to trick him because of some stupid thing he does. And she ends up dressing like a prostitute, sleeps with him and gets pregnant with twins. And they're in the genealogy. And like, why did God bring them up? How many of you have a a past that you don't like? Just say, God can use me. And he can use my family. I mean, he, this is, and so you get this, this, this heinous kind of thing. And it's kind of worked its way through. And God goes, I told you my promise was going to come through. And by the way, that's Tamar. Uh, he probably has me in his line. I'm going to do some great things. By the way, did you see Eric Van Rie? <laughs> Everyone's going, yeah. We saw him. <laughs> God's going, yes. Amen. Amen. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Most people don't know this, but he owned a car dealership called Dodge <laughs> back then. <laughs> he was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Uh, Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Now listen, then it throws another tagline in there. By the way, 
His mother was Rahab. She was a lying prostitute. She was. She, she was a prostitute. She wasn't just the prostitute. She was a leader in the prostitution. And here she is, a major player in the genealogy. And then we have right there, Boaz. The mother was Rahab, the prostitute. Boaz, the mother of Obed. And it says, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth was the product of incest. And I, I, just, I just think, why is God highlighting these women of bad reputation and ill repute? Is it because the goodness of God and his ability to keep his promise is, I can keep my promises no matter what. Listen, you, when you see Rahab, God redeemed her. God did amazing miracles in her. And this is Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Listen, David was the father of Solomon. Listen, then now there's another tagline. Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You know, everyone know who that is? That's Bathsheba. She committed adultery with David because David was supposed to go to war and fight. And I think this is what happens to men when they don't show up to battle. Right? And they're kind of shrinking back. Guys, that's how you get in all the trouble. You need to stay engaged in the battle. And he, he kind of backed off, saw her, over, overlooked at her. She's taking a shower and he goes, I want her. He slept with her, got pregnant. And when he found out he was, she was pregnant, he sent her husband, who was this loyal, loyal guy to David. And he goes, yeah, go fight your, uh, go to the front line. So he sent him to the front line and he got killed instantly. The guy who sent him was Joab, the general, who did not have a good end, by the way, you know, partaking. And David paid a steep price for this. But, but here's what I want you to see. It's right there. He had Solomon. And Solomon was this wise king. You can see it as, as it keeps going. He's a wise. He wrote the Proverbs. But guess what? He had all these women that he, he goes, man, I like her. So he took her. Then he, they had another tribe. And there's some other nomads. Let's get them. Let's get those Phoenician women. And little by little, he just started gathering all these women. And then he was probably took a marriage class. And he, and he learned that he had to be a good listener. And so they would tell them about his gods. And little by little, he started engaging in adultery. And God took care of him for one reason. You know why? Because God told David, I promise you I will take care of Solomon. Even if he blows it. But the next generation is on Solomon's head. And God took care of Solomon because God promised. Can everyone say God promised? God promised to David that he would take care of it. But Solomon blew it. And he had a son, Rehoboam who minute he became into power, he was like a couple years into it. He did pretty good the first three years. And then basically what happened is, is that instead of the elders, the wise men who had served Solomon and David for a long time, instead of listening to him, it says he listened to his peers. It's like he went to junior high and hung out with his buddies and said, hey, what do you think? How do we think we should run the world? Uh, you know what you ought to do? You ought to do this. Let's make weed legal. You know what I mean? <laughs> and who knows what they came up with? But and I, listen, I'm not. You read, listen to my drug message. I don't want you to feel condemned. God is great and good. Amen. Amen. But listen, Rehoboam brought the split of the kingdom of the twelve sons of Jacob, the twelve sons, and it became two tribes instead of twelve. It became Judah and the younger son Benjamin, 
and then Israel and the other tribes, which became named Israel and Judah. And then we had two kings that separated and they became captive under Rehoboam's rule. And little by little, and then he had a son, Abijah, who was a wicked king. Rehoboam wasn't just, he wasn't just disobedient because of Solomon's wickedness, but he also passed it down. And thank God, then we got Asa. And Asa sort of became the difference maker there. He had some good, bad, but he was wise. And he was the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was one of Judah's greatest kings. He restored all kinds of worship back to God. And then we had Jehoram, who then became, he, he undid everything his father did. He was an evil king. He renewed the pagan worship in Judah, and he killed a ton of leaders, like, you know, what we think of senators and, you know, commanders. He killed everybody. He distrusted everybody. And then we had Uzziah, you know, who was a pretty good king. He became a king at 16 and reigned for about 50 years. And he became the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a pretty good king, but he had a little bit of good and bad. He relied too much on the world rather than just on the Lord. And then he became the father of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings that we have. He killed so many children, Manasseh. But he also had one of the most grandest repentances of any character in the Bible. Manasseh, in his old age, saw the wickedness he, has, he had done. And guess who saw it? His grandchild, Josiah. Because you see it in him. Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. Josiah restored the word of God and brought it back and did amazing things. And it says, the, and he was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Exile, that's when you're thrown out of your nation's country. It'd be like we were born here and raised here and someone came in here and ruled America. And they said, all right, you got to go. And they threw us to some awful, I don't know, maybe they sent us to Canada. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a total joke. That really was a joke. I was trying to think of a place where no one would offend it, and then I realized everyone will be offended no matter what place I pick. How many are from Canada? Oh, okay. Oh, one person. So I think we should mock Canada anyway. No, I'm just kidding. I totally teased it. Can you come up and sing the national anthem of Canada to redeem it? I'm just kidding. Listen, God, imagine being exiled to some other place where you're the stranger, you're the visitor. And they were exiled to Babylon. And what happened, instead of where the place where the Jews were, the Sumerians came in. And that's where, you know, Jesus enters that place where Jerusalem now is no longer the Jews, but it's really run by the, the Gentile world. And then after they exiled at Babylon, I'll go through this really quick, quickly. Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Elohim. Elohim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Most people don't know this about Azor and Zadok, but they were the original orcs from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> they came from Middle Earth. <laughs> They're starring in the Battle of the Five Armies. You may not have known that. Don't those sound like orc names? You could, you could tell that they, you know, J.R. Tolkien was going, let's go to the Bible, wicked people, wicked kings. Hey, Zadok, the wicked orc. Yeah, works good. Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, and Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, 
Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph. Now, how, Joseph does not have a genetic lineage. Again, this is a legal lineage. And it says, listen, here it is. The husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So Jesus was born to Mary, a virgin teenager, with a bad reputation in the city, from a dumpy little rural town. And if you've seen Bethlehem, you know Bethlehem is nothing. There's like a few hundred that lived in Bethlehem. This is a shit, this is like a western town, like, you know, you go 20 miles outside of Dodge, and you see this town. It's a nothing town. And that's where he comes from. Listen, God can use anyone who has a past. Raise your hand if you've got a past. Listen, keep your hand up just for one second and just say, I'm going to be saved because of God's promises. Not my past. So one more time, God's promises. Not my past. This is it. And, and, and watch, watch what he does here. Then he finishes in chapter, chapter 17. He says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. So Abraham to David. And we have 20 generations before this where we have all the way from Adam to, to, to Terah, which is Adam's, or Noah, um, sorry, um, um, Abraham's dad. You know, when, when he first gets the call. So you have 20 generations, then we have 14, 14, and 14, but they're, they're overlapping, so there's 40. So you have 60 generations here. Abraham to King David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. That's when they are thrown to the Babylonians, to the exile. And then the Babylonians were taken captive by the Persians and the Persians overcame the Greeks, or the, sorry, the Greeks overcame the Persians. And then finally Rome took over from the Greeks. You have Alexander the Great who gets crushed and then Caesar Augustus, Mark Antony come reigning in and all of a sudden, we have a census where everyone has to go back to their hometown village to count all the people, and Jesus is brought back to the prophetic picture. His family is living somewhere else, but he prophetically gets brought back to fulfill the promise of God. O oh, Bethlehem, who is born out of thee? It's, it's, the pro- it's the promise. How many know that God can keep his promise? Listen, if you're Muslim, and don't take this the wrong way, there, there is no genealogy with Muhammad. There isn't this clear cut. He's talking 600 years later after the time of Christ. Imagine if someone wrote about your life right now, 600 years from now. Would your neighbor do a better job of telling about your life right now than they would 600 years from now? Listen, you may have an LDS background. I'm not here to pick on you. But just to draw a distinction... 1,800 years later, there's no genealogy of Joseph Smith. It's just his word of what he saw. When God talks about his promises and the fulfillment of Christ, do you think that God is going to fail the salvation? A couple of years are going to go by and he goes, oh, we need to reform the church. It didn't work. Really? Look at these promises. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the answer. He is the salvation. Please understand this. There is no history like this history. Where are the Phoenicians? Where are the Babylonians? Where are the Philistines? They're gone. But we still have the Jews today. God said he'd keep them, and he has.
the message of Christ was going to remain, and it remains. This is historical evidence. It's not scientific evidence, although history is a historical science. Okay? But this is pretty profound. This is the promise of God. This is the beginning of Matthew, where Matthew's writing this out, and he's going, God says, I will keep my promise. If you believe that, then you'll believe that God can keep his promise to you. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. So this genealogy, and then here it says, his mother was married. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. That means she was a virgin. She hadn't been with someone else. It wasn't with, you know, Fred down the street. And Joseph was worried about it because he thought it was. Maybe some other guy, I don't know. And he's worried about it. And then he has a visitation. He goes, it's not from someone else. It's from the Spirit of God. That means Jesus is going to show up on the scene with a unique genetic footprint, and then he's going to leave with a unique genetic footprint. Unique blood. There's no blood like the blood of Christ. It's unique blood. We're saved by a blood that will not be imitated. So let's get to the promises. Number one, say it with me. This is from the Lord. Say, I keep my promises. Say, he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. Now, you are going to be blown away by this because there is a reason for this prophetic insight. Okay? Now, he, all this took place, this promise here. Now, it says, when the time, set time had fully come. In other words, at the right time, God in history, organizing everything in history, at the right time, in the fullness of time, if you have King James, God sent his son. She was born of a woman. She was born under the same law and legal restrictions that, that we were born under. The law under us, over us. Why? To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, he was born under the law, not only as one obligated to fulfill it, and he did. He fulfilled it, but also as one under the burden of it as well to overcome it for adoption. Do you realize that these promises that God has made lead to one thing? Your adoption as his kid. All of this genealogy, all this thing, and we, all this history, and we look back in history and we go, God did this to adopt me. And understand that they, in turn, were looking forward to the cross and saying, God is doing this for our adoption. They had faith going forward. We have faith going back to the same event. That's why every time you write a check, you write 2014 so you know when it happened. This is unique in history. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God wanted to make this ironclad. Listen, you maybe have your word, you swear, I promise I'll get the work done. You're a little kid, you're a boy scout, and you go, I promise I'll do my chores. You might, you might not. But God... And people, too, were looking for someone you, you swear by something better than you. I swear on my mama's grave, or I swear on something bigger. God couldn't find anything bigger. So God gives you the strongest promise that he could possibly make. I swear by myself that I will fulfill what I say. You know, we're starting prayer ministry in our church in a grander way. 
It's not going to be about prayer that we're going to try to conjure up. It's finding the promises of God and executing them. And saying, this is what I want to do. And it says, people swear by someone greater than themselves. And the earth confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. It's done. He promised it. You see the genealogy and the mishmash that God worked through and brought Christ in his fullness. To save you and adopt you with an everlasting love. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. This word is so powerful. Yes. I know how parents work. They spend so much time telling their kids no. No, don't do that. No, do do that. We really try to make it a habit in our family of saying yes. No, you can't do that, but yes, you can do this. Because it makes it so much more fun to follow a yes. All the promises, you guys, in Jesus are yes. They resonate. When we say amen, I have you guys say it all the time, say amen, because amen is saying yes to God. It is. You're going, yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. The amen is, this is it right there. And it says, and through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. To the glory of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Can I hear a yes? Yes. Listen, this is the yes. This is from God. Yes. Yes. Lord, can you do that? Yes. Sometimes you got to wait. Yes. God's promises are yes. Will he supply all my needs according to his riches? Yes. Yes. Will he deliver me in times of trouble? Yes. Yes. But when I'm in a trial and things are hopeless, will I find hope? Will my character grow no matter what? Yes. Because God is faithful. Because our salvation isn't built on our promises. God, I make these five promises to you that I'm going to swear I do them. That's the saddest thing I ever hear from Christians. Making your little piddly promises. Where have they ever gotten you? I'd rather put my hope in God's promises. Lord, I commit to a life of faith where I believe your promises. That's what salvation is. If it's not from that, it is false doctrine. Doctrines of demons. Anyone comes to you preaching another gospel other than what I preach to you, Christ in him crucified the yes and amen in Christ. Let him be anathema. Cursed. Because the true gospel is Christ, the salvation, the redeemer, the restorer, the deliverer, the provider, the healer, the God who is faithful in all his ways, who comes to this genealogy in power and says, I am he before Abraham was born. I am. He is the powerful one. Amen. Listen. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. These are not just the big Bible promises that he, that he finished. And these are not just the ones that Mary experienced. Imagine Mary. She experienced the promise in her stomach. She's like, the genealogy is it's right here. It's right here. She's the first person to experience God within her. A woman. And she's the first one to see the deliverance of the Messiah and good news into the world. 
The incarnation happens through her life. Don't you think that these promises are also for us? Who not only have God with us, there's Jesus, but now God through the cross and the redemption and the payment, he's within us. Amen? Listen, we're almost done here. I will keep my promises. Number two, I will be with you. I will be in you. The virgin will be with child. This Matthew just continues on. There's so much killer stuff in here. The virgin will be with child. Okay, now that's unusual. You can doubt it if you want. But there's no reason to because this is a prophecy given X amount of years before. And it says, and she'll give birth to a son and they will call him not a really cool angel for those of you who have Jehovah Witness backgrounds. He's not just another man who might progress up to God. He will be God with us. Listen, that's why John says, in the beginning was the Word. He gets right to it. I love John. He's the theological guy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And to those who received them, he gave the right, the authority to become children of God. Adoption. God did all this for us. Can you believe it? Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas with the tree. The tree of life at the beginning. And the tree of life at the end, the healing leaves of the nations come from the trees. God, the author of fruitfulness. Thank God for the tree. Hey, there's a druid tree back there. Throw it and burn it out. But this tree is really good. This is God's tree. How many are thankful for the kingdom of God? Amen. God with us. Here's my conclusion, and I have you respond. I keep my promises. Just hear the word of the Lord. I keep my promises. I will be with you. And number three, I will rescue you. This is so key. Listen, the word there in the noun form is soterio. Those of you studied it in school, you know it's called soteriology, the study of salvation. One part of that is called the Orda Salutis, or the order of salvation. How did it happen? It's a whole study of theology within it. That word... Is translated in English verbs, depending on how it, the Greek shows up in the Greek apparatus, that it's translated sometimes, I will save you. Sometimes it's translated, I will heal you, or I will rescue you, or I will deliver you in English. But it's the same Greek word over and over again. By his stripes, quoting, I will be healed. It's by saved. By those stripes that were put on there. I'll be saved. I'll be rescued. I keep my promises because I'll be with you. I'm not going to leave you, forsake you. I'm going to adopt you and I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to heal you. And for some of you, it's going to be to be with the Lord immediately. But I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to restore your family. I'm going to restore things. And how is he going to do this? It says, because he will save his people from their sins. You know, I've heard a lot of Bible teachers talk about this. And, 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 and I, I, it always bothers me when it doesn't go to this. He doesn't say, 
And I'm really, really going to try to save you if I can. I'll do my best. He says he will save his people. Amen? He doesn't come to try to save them. He comes to save them. Listen, you want to be saved? Jesus Christ died on the cross. Raise both hands and say, I'd like to be saved. Come on, raise your hands. Just say, I want to be saved by the Lord. Father, we lift up hands. They're holy hands because they're sanctified by the blood. And Lord, they work themselves out in righteousness. Keep your hands raised if you would. And just say, Lord, I surrender to the promises of God. Just have the prayer team come forward at the same time. Just, I, I, listen, I surrender myself to your promises, Lord. My hope is in what you say, what you're going to do, what you did, what you're still going to accomplish. Oh, Lord, we come against the spirit of religion and we say yes to Jesus Christ the Savior, the Healer, the Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Wonderful One, all wisdom, all power, all glory, all might, all strength. Give glory to Him, King of Kings, to Him who alone is worthy of our worship, the Savior of all. Thank you, Lord. And we put our faith and our confidence and our hope And listen, there are some of you just stirred up in my heart. You're facing some hopeless situation right now. Shift your hope right now. You don't need to wait after the church. You don't need to walk forward. Do it in your heart right now. Just say, Lord, shift it out of your power. Move it out of your power right now. And move it into God's power. Say, God, I give this to you. I ask in Jesus' name, do this mighty work. And we put our hope, we put our surrender in you. God, Redeemer. Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Xmas. Thank you for the Christmas tree of life that we have. Lord, thank you that the gifts Jesus the giver gives, and we want to be like him. We want to give gifts, whether it's candles or toys or things to bless our family, but most of all, we give the things of God away. We give those away, and we meet people's needs. And we surrender. And would you just surrender all to him? Just would you speak just your own words, not mine. Speak your words of praise to God right now. All of this room. Don't worry about it. No. Just thank him. Thank him. Praise him for his name. Thank him for who he is. Thank him for the things he's going to do. Be believing, not unbelieving. Believe him. And Lord, we put our hope and our trust in you. Lord, you've been so faithful. I wish I could pour that into people. How faithful, incredible you've been. I thank you for everything that you do. And anyone who needs prayer or you want to find the Lord, come forward and meet our prayer team. We have small groups that you should get connected to. We have base camp and other things. And let me say to you as we start the season, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas from God. Amen? Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen.